please turn with me to Ruth chapter 1, verses 19 through 22. That's where we'll be this evening. Ruth chapter 1, verses 19 through 22. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full. And the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. This is the word of the Lord. On May 4, 1998, a Seattle rock musician named John Roderick played his first show with his new band, the Western State Hurricanes. And they were an instant hit in the Seattle music scene. Uh, Within just a couple of shows, they were actually having to book bigger and better rooms to play in because they were selling out the concerts. Even when they were the opening act, They would sell out of people wanting to see them instead of the headliners. Within just two months, Sub Pop Records had offered them a recording contract. And you may know Sub Pop as the record label for giant Indian grunge acts like Nirvana, Soundgarden, and The Shins, Death Cab for Cutie, and dozens of others. And yet, the Western State Hurricanes played their last show on April 17th. 1999. The discussions with Sub Pop fell apart. They spent two months trying and failing to record their first album in the basement of some wannabe sound engineer. They had no record to promote, and yet they went on tour in a beat-up minivan, and when they returned, half the band had hated it so much they were ready to give up the touring life for good. So at the end of the last song of their last show, John smashed his guitar, walked off stage, and disappeared. In May 1998, they were the future of music. In May 1999, John had nothing left. No music career, no job, and no friends. And so he did what any sensible person would do. He bought a plane ticket to London and spent six months walking from London to Istanbul. So what lesson do you think that John learned as he spent six months walking? Well, in a later interview, he said, I learned that you can't just go walking and expect to find the answers you're after. Well, one thing that we see in tonight's passage is that Naomi had a somewhat similar experience. For when Israel suffered a famine, Her family walked to Moab. And yet during their time in Moab, the suffering only increased as Naomi's husband and sons all died. 
And so when she walks back to Moab, all that she can say is, I went away full, and the Lord brought me back empty. That walk to Moab did not do her much good. For somebody asks, is this Naomi? Well, the name Naomi means pleasant. But Naomi insists on a new name. Do not call me pleasant. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. For Naomi, the return is bitter, not pleasant. Her return has nothing to do with joy and everything to do with sorrow and grief. Well, we all know that life brings suffering. You may struggle with addiction, mental illness. You may have suffered abuse. You may know people who have suffered these things. You may be suffering a crisis of faith. Well, many figures in Scripture, including Naomi, Job, Jeremiah, and Christ himself, endured terrible suffering. So the Scriptures do not hide the reality of suffering, but the Scriptures do also teach us a few things about how to handle it. Now, Naomi has suffered much. Her family has been taken from her. She's uprooted herself twice in the search for security. And yet here she is. And through these few verses, there are a few things we can learn about faithfulness through suffering. In Naomi, we learn to walk with God. We learn to be honest about our suffering. And we learn not to lose perspective. We walk with God, we be honest, and we don't lose perspective. We start with walking because God walks with you through suffering, and he calls you to walk with him through suffering. And we see here that Naomi has, in fact, already taken the critical step in this process. For during the famine, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, ran away from God in going to Moab. Now, the famine is meant to be interpreted as an act of God's discipline. And so the faithful thing for Elimelech to do would have been to stay in the promised land and repent with God's people in God's presence. But now, though it's many years later, Naomi has chosen to go back. Naomi has chosen to walk back to be with God. Jesus himself walked with God through his suffering. In heaven, he had eternal glory and joy and love together with the Father and the Holy Spirit. But he left the throne room of heaven in order to go and walk the earth like you and me. And so he walked on feet that got dirty and sore. He got hungry and thirsty. Some of his friends and loved ones died. He was opposed by the religious leaders who ought to have embraced him. He was misunderstood by his closest friends. And to cap it all off, he went to the, to the cross. And so at every stage of his earthly journey, he knew that the cross was looming. And the night before his crucifixion, his suffering was so intense that his sweat came out mixed with blood. He was whipped. He was mocked by a crowd who had received him as their king just a few days before. And finally, he was put on that cross. 
Here was the creator of the world subjecting himself to pain and mockery at the hands of the people who ought to have glorified him instead. And so he knows suffering personally. And so he too can walk with you and does walk with you in every trial. But why? Why did he do it? He walked this path of suffering because it was the path God laid out for him to walk. He says in John 6.38, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And so the Father gave him this path to walk so that he could redeem sinners like you and me. It says in Isaiah 53, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Jesus suffered so that you and I could be made righteous, so that you and I can be children of our Heavenly Father. And in a picture of that, we see Naomi going back to Bethlehem to be where the Lord wanted her to be, to be walking with God, to be in among his covenant people, to be in the presence of God. And in doing so, she points to our Lord Jesus who went to the cross, which is where God wanted him to be. And so when you walk through life's trials, you also can know that you are where God wants you to be. And so in her return to Bethlehem, we see Naomi walking with God. But she doesn't just walk. She does another thing. She tells the truth about her suffering. She does not in the least hide her troubles. Indeed, she puts her suffering very bluntly with this opening remark, do not call me pleasant, call me bitter. Now in the ancient world, a child would often be named for the circumstances surrounding their birth. So if a baby were born during time of war or peace or during famine or plenty, that baby's name would often reflect that. Well, the circumstances of Naomi's life gave her a new name. The Almighty had dealt very bitterly with her, so call her Mara. We have here a woman deeply wounded by her life experience. She's suffered greatly, and she's not afraid to say it. So there's no need to hide your troubles. When you suffer, you can say it too. But notice that she doesn't attribute her suffering to luck or fate or the stars or any such thing. She attributes her suffering to God. She says, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Who caused the famine that, brought, that, that, that led Elimelech to go out to Moab? God did. Who took the lives of her husband and sons? God did. And so she refers to him as the Almighty, the one who governs all the affairs of our lives, the one who is in control of every hardship that we endure. She also acknowledges that the Lord has testified against her and brought calamity upon her. She's using legal language, the language of judgment, acknowledging that the Lord 
is her judge, and that the Lord is the one who has the right to work in her life as he pleases. Now, I think it's fair to ask a question about the attitude of Naomi's heart, and we don't have a statement as such whether she is sinfully angry against, with God or simply making a statement. And it is true that if she is accusing God of sin, that is blasphemy. She is sinning against God. But when you look carefully at what she says, I don't see any accusation of wrongdoing on God's part. It's simply a statement of fact. Now, certainly she's unhappy about her circumstances. That much is clear. But I don't see her accusing God of evil, simply stating that the Lord has brought about the bitterness in her life, which is true. Still, I think it's worth taking a moment and to talk about the possibility of anger and even sinful anger towards God. And it's important to remember that in our anguish, the Lord knows that sometimes we say things or believe things about him that we shouldn't. And yet we read in Psalm 103, 14, that he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Consider the case of Job. Job said, a few things about God that were sinful. There are some places where, God, where Job questions God's goodness and justice. And yet in Job chapter 42, God still says of Job that he has spoken what is right. God was pleased that, in general, Job spoke in a way that honored God, even though in a few places Job did sin. And so Job had the opportunity to repent of his sins, which he immediately did. And God accepted his repentance. God knows the difference between those who hate him and those who love him and yet sin in their thoughts in severe trial from time to time. And so the person who trusts in Christ is covered by his blood, even if they shake a fist at God under extreme duress. Now, I'm not endorsing this attitude. I want to make that clear. But it is a fact. We see it in Scripture, and I have to tell it to you. God forgives even those who are angry with him at times. God understands. And so bring your thoughts to God, even if they turn dark in suffering. And think about it. Where else would you go with these thoughts? God will be gracious to you if you bring them to him in faith. And he can transform them. And he will forgive you if you put your trust in him. But let's return to the theme about honesty and suffering in general. For there are plenty of examples in Scripture where God's people cry out to him as the cause of calamity. In Numbers 11, the people of Israel complain about the food they have to eat in the wilderness. And so Moses complains to God, why have you dealt ill with your servant? He's worn out by the complaining of the people. And so God graciously provides Moses some other elders to help him out in leadership. And he even answers the cry of the people for food. In Psalm 44, verse 2, the people of God lament that God has given the Gentile nations victory over Israel for a time. 
And God himself says in Isaiah 45, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. So it's not sin to directly say that God does bring about difficult circumstances in our lives. And Jesus himself acknowledged this. He didn't want to go to the cross. And so as he prepared to go to the cross, he prayed to the Father, remove this cup from me. He had a baptism to be baptized with. And that baptism came from God. He prays, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. He spoke often to his disciples about the sufferings that he was going to endure. In John 12, 27, he says, Now is my soul troubled. By no means did Jesus enjoy the trials that he suffered, and he was willing to say so to his Father. The Lord knows what you're going through if you're suffering, and you all will suffer at one time or another. There's no need to hide it from him. Jesus tells his people to address God as our Father in heaven. And in so doing, he's telling you that you can go to God with your troubles, that he will be gentle with you, and he will take care of you. And so when we suffer, we should walk with God through suffering and own up to our suffering with honesty. And third, we should keep our perspective in the midst of suffering. Because suffering makes us lose our sense of perspective and we lose sight of hope. We get tunnel vision. The world becomes reduced to what we're going through right here and now. I I remember um, a couple of times in my life when going through something hard, it felt like the only thing that I even wanted to do all day was sit in an easy chair and stare at the wall all day. That's all I wanted to do. And it's natural. We weren't made for suffering. It's appropriate to grieve when trials come. And yet the scriptures always call us to keep in mind our hope in God through all of our suffering. And while tonight's text stops short of providing a statement directly saying, now Naomi lost her hope a little bit, you can see that her understanding of her circumstances are not quite accurate either. Naomi has lost a little bit of perspective. So she says in verse 21, I went away full. Did she really? I I thought that she and her husbands left because there was nothing to eat. And they left in defiance of God's desire that his people repent and dwell with him. I don't see how Naomi can call this a full life. But Naomi also says that she's returned empty. Well, I don't mean to minimize the death of her family, not at all. But has she failed to notice that she's returned with her daughter-in-law, Ruth? She is not aware of the tremendous blessing that God can work through Ruth, who has pledged her loyalty, her steadfast love, to her mother-in-law. 
And Naomi is failing to account for the fact that it's barley harvest when she says this. The famine is over. God has been merciful to his people, and Naomi still has a rightful place. She still has a, a, a welcome sign on her doormat as she comes back home to Bethlehem, where God has fed his people. And so in short, Naomi has underestimated the severity of God's discipline as she left, and she's underestimated the riches of God's kindness as she returns. And beyond God's kindness to Naomi, we get a little hint in these verses of God's redemptive purpose for her suffering. For in verse 22, Ruth is said to return with Naomi. Ruth has never been in Bethlehem before. She returns to Bethlehem in the sense that she's now in the place where she truly belongs. She is now a member of the nation of Israel. She is one of God's people now. God has accepted Ruth's pledge to commit herself to him. Through everything that Naomi has endured, God has brought a new daughter to himself. And Naomi becomes one of four named people in the Old Testament who convert from, another, from worshiping another god to keeping the true religion of Israel. And then if you know how the book of Ruth ends, which I get to do this because this isn't a series, I don't have to pace myself, you know that Ruth's return sets the table for her to become King David's great-grandmother. And you know that one day, on down the generations, Jesus will come to earth as the king of God's people in David's lineage. God is at work, even through Naomi's suffering, to bring about his redemptive plan for his people and to institute his kingdom on earth. And so it is with you. Romans 8.17 says that you can only become an heir with Christ if you suffer with him. And what do you inherit with Christ? You inherit your share in the kingdom of God. And even today, you enjoy a foretaste of that inheritance. The blessings of the kingdom of God are yours today as you enjoy, uh, as you enjoy the fruits of salvation, as you live out being sanctified, becoming more like Christ, and as you enjoy the peace with God that Jesus won for you on the cross. And these blessings and many, many more will be fully and completely yours when Christ, return, when Christ returns. But you'll never receive it, Paul writes, unless God makes you like Christ in suffering. And so fight tooth and nail to keep a true perspective and embrace hope. Suffering may overwhelm you from time to time, even for a long time. But God never abandons his children. And whether you feel it or not, and whether it takes a long time or a short time, if you embrace Christ by faith, God will come through for you. But when Naomi returned to Bethlehem, she wasn't looking for a homecoming party. She's been gone for 10 years. She's had no contact with the people back home. She left in the middle of a famine, so all of her friends and families might just as easily be dead. 
Bethlehem was a small town and everybody knew her and nobody expected her to return. And yet when she arrives, she finds that she's far from forgotten. It says the whole town was stirred. It's a homecoming party. Naomi had found her life bitter, and so it's no surprise she wasn't in a partying mood. And yet God, in his kindness to her, is still welcoming her home. It's a small token of the good that God plans to do for and through Naomi. And as for you, you may today be in the same place as Naomi. If you aren't now, I promise you will be someday. And whatever you are suffering, you can say it. You can talk to your God. You can talk to your friends about it. And God and his people will help you walk in faithfulness to him. And remember, Jesus came and redeemed suffering. He suffered and died and gave himself for you. And through it gained heavenly glory and a people to call his own. Through his suffering, he gained you to be his people. And you may suffer until the end of this life. But Jesus has conquered death. And he has promised you a homecoming party too. An eternal homecoming. In a place where there is no more mourning or crying or pain. Please join me in prayer. Father, whether we suffer little or much, you know how much we suffer. And Father, we pray that you will give us the faith to endure suffering, walking with you. Help us to be faithful to you. Help us to be truthful with you about what we're going through. Help us look to you for hope. And help us trust you to take care of it all at the end of the age when Christ returns. In his name we pray. Amen.